Welcome to the Marriage by the Book podcast. Whether you have a great marriage or one that needs improvement, this is the show for you. Since 1994, we've used biblical principles to help hundreds of couples, just like you, find relationship success. As you listen, you'll get practical tips, knowledge, and motivation that will help bring greater intimacy and happiness to your marriage so that you can enjoy the relationship you've dreamed of. And now, this is Marriage by the Book. Hey, this is Rick Porter, Phil with Marriage by the Book, and welcome to the Marriage by the Book podcast. I am glad, I have to say, glad to be finished talking about the problem, which is what we've done for the last few weeks on the podcast. Uh, you know, the problem is self-centeredness, and today we're going to start talking about the answer to the problem, which is a lot more uh, uh, something I like to talk about. But, you know, we do need to talk about the problem. You know, there's a difference, and you need to recognize the difference between problems and symptoms. You know, a great example I like is, you know, suppose you have a hole in your gas tank. Well, the hole's the problem, and the symptom would be you keep losing gas even when you're not driving your car. So, you know, think about which would make more sense to deal with the symptom, you know, just keep going to the gas station and put more gas in just to let it run out that hole, or to deal with the problem and either patch the hole or replace the gas tank. Well, obviously, you know, patching the hole um, makes a lot more sense. So that's why we went through the last four weeks of identifying the problem and and uh, uh, separating that from what the symptoms are and showing you that there really is just that one root problem in relationships. And so we need to recognize the problem and deal with it. And today, again, we're going to be talking about the answer. So this is how you plug that hole of the problem. So anyway, let's jump into these notes. And what I'm doing here is um, really just walking through in a series of podcasts here the 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 classes, the the uh, counseling that we would take a couple through if we were doing marriage uh, counseling with them. And uh, anyhow, so you're really kind of getting what we would do there. And uh, we've been very successful with this. I should say God has because, you know, Rebecca and I, we were getting a divorce whatever 30 years ago and and the lord got a hold of us and helped us in our marriage and showed us some things that worked for us from the word and those things work for other people as well and they'll work for anyone there really is you know a hundred percent chance of success and happiness for every marriage so anyway you know we identified self-centeredness as the problem you're practicing other centeredness hopefully rather than self-centeredness and, and that can be a difficult thing to do you know uh, dealing with our pride and our, our self-centeredness and wanting our own way um, you know dying to self putting the flesh under those are difficult things to do so why, why would a person bother to do that what would be the motive and the question i have you know when i was considering this years ago is okay what motivated god to restore his relationship with mankind you know the, the, the our relationship with god is a mirror of the marriage relationship and there's a lot of scriptures that talk about that but you can actually learn a lot in studying mankind's or your relationship with god you can learn a lot about having a successful marriage so you know maybe our motive for working on restoring our marriage uh should or, or make it having a better marriage your marriage may not be need to be restored maybe it should be the same though as god's motive okay um and I think that's a, a really powerful thing to think about, having God's motive as our own. And uh, John 3.16, very um, well-known scripture. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, 
that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You know, everlasting life is, that is relationship with God. You know, death is separation from God, and life is relationship with God. So for God so loved the world, that was his motive. His motive was love, okay? That was his motive. And I want to quickly look at a few attributes of God's love. We can just learn a lot about God's love. Just let the cat out of the bag. God's love is the answer to our marriage and relationship issues. It is the answer to self-centeredness. It is the thing that shuts down the symptoms. It plugs the hole in the gas tank, so to speak. This is the answer. So let's look at a few attributes quickly of God's love. I'm going to read some scriptures to you. Um, Romans 8, 35 through 39. It says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? It says, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. The reason we're more than conquerors in all those things is because nothing can separate us from the love of God even in those. Okay? Verse 38 goes on and says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So nothing can separate us from God's love. Now, here's what we're going to get to. We're going to get to where we're applying God's love in relationships, specifically in marriage, okay? And if nothing can separate you from God's love, should your spouse's behavior affect your love for them? The answer to that's no. Okay, Um, and in some ways I'm getting ahead of myself, but I want you to really get these points. Okay, another scripture I want to read here is John 15, 13. Jesus was talking. He said, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Okay, Um, your spouse is your friend. Okay, what this is telling us is that God's love is self-sacrificing or or you could say other centered rather than self-centered. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Okay. Jeremiah 31.3. This is a great scripture to contemplate. Jeremiah 31.3 says, The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. You know, self-centeredness is a, a dividing force. It brings division to relationships. And God's kind of love is a unifying force. And that really, this scripture really shows that. The Lord has appeared of old to me saying, he's always loved you like this. this. Yes, I've loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, his kind of love, I've drawn you. His love is a, it's an attractive force. It's a unifying force. Uh, I don't know if, man, if you could think about maybe in your past and in your marriage as well, times when your spouse just really loved you and you knew it. It's an attractive, it's a unifying force, or maybe someone else you knew. Uh, I know when I was a kid growing up, there was this lady that, you know, I lived out in the country, but we would ride our bikes to see her. And this lady just was, she was just walking love. And it was just a very, it just drew you to her. It was just amazing. Anyway, you know, this tells us, though, that God's love is everlasting and also that it is a unifying force. So two two really uh, important points there in that scripture. Okay, and then a common scripture people think about when we talk about love is 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not self-centered. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. 
Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. And then verse 8 goes on, and we're a lot of familiar with this, love never fails, right? So this really describes what love looks like, how love acts, and this is how God loves us. And so we need to get a revelation of how God loves us, and if we'll get a revelation of his love for us, we'll really be able to love others out of that. So really, all this is telling us that God's love, is it's unconditional. You know, God loves you no matter what, no matter what you do. You know, I read the scriptures there from Romans 8 where God, nothing can separate you from God's love. You know, you can't even separate yourself from God's love. Romans 5 talks about how when we were sinners, Christ died for us. You know, when we were <laughs> misbehaving, and there was some times, you know, I was an atheist alcoholic early on. And uh, man, you know, in the middle of that, God loved me. Yeah, thank God he did. I mean, there were times that um, um, I was pretty unlovable, and maybe some of you can relate to that. But anyhow, but he loves you no matter what. He loves whatever it takes, as long as it takes. He loves us even if we don't love him. And, you know, I have to say, man, I did not love God, okay, at one point in my life. And um, thank God that God loves us, uh, God loves you. Anyway, the New Testament was originally written in Greek. Maybe you know that, ancient Greek in, in particular. And there are three Greek words that we translate as love. And this is important to cover because I don't know. I think a lot of people maybe are like me and I'll talk for myself. Maybe, maybe you're like me too, or you know, someone who is, but I didn't know what love was. I just thought love was just a feeling. Okay. And feelings come and go. And, uh, you know, you can fall in and out of love with people. And it's just, it was kind of just flaky and all over the place. And so it's kind of important for us to define what love is. You know, love motivated God to restore his relationship with mankind. And um, so we need to know what God's kind of love is. Is it different than, than human love? Is it different than our love? And the answer is yes, it is. You know, human love is very different. Human love is typically based on emotions. And God's love is, is based on something else. So I want to talk a little bit about that. So the three Greek words for love. One Greek word for love is eros, okay? And eros, it's, it's a lustful or a wanton type of love. Now get this, that derives from the sexual drive of a person. It's not a love directed, I'm sorry, it is a love directed towards self. So eros is a love that seeks to meet the needs or desires of self and really no concern for the needs or the desires of of others is contemplated in that word, okay? And you know, the word eros does not even appear in the New Testament. So that shows you how much this has to do with God's kind of love. It really doesn't. There's nothing selfish in God's love. Okay? Um, so a second Greek word for love is philio. Philio means brotherly love or to be a friend to someone. It implies sentiment or feeling. This type of love, it's really chiefly a matter of the heart. And the word filio is used 19 times in the New Testament. So it's there. You know, filio, brotherly love, you know, feelings. The city of Philadelphia is called the city of brotherly love. That's where it gets its name. Um, you know, eros, erotic, that's where that, that word comes from. It's the root of that. So, again, filio is there. So it does. There are aspects of God's love that have to do with feelings. So the third Greek word for love is agape probably heard that agape is defined and i get this from a, a bible dictionary and we'll talk a little bit more about this in a minute but they do a pretty good job here agape is defined as a selfless love that will go to any length 
to attain the well-being of its object. It, it seeks only the best for its object regardless of feelings. This type of love implies a decision and a commitment. It's a matter of the head more than of the heart. It's not based on feelings. It involves judgment and the deli- deliberate assent of the will. Now, by judgment there, I don't mean like you're judging somebody as whether they're guilty or not. You're, you're considering, do I want to love this person this way? And then you make the judgment that I do or I don't, okay? And then when you marry and you make those vows to the altar, that's kind of what you're doing there. You're, you're saying, okay, I've, I've made this decision, and I'm giving this deliberate assent of my will that I'm going to love this person until death do us part. And that's the word for love used in all the scriptures we've looked at thus far, except for Jeremiah, which that's Old Covenant, Old Testament. And actually the word used for love in Jeremiah 31.3 is the Old Testament, the Hebrew counterpart to the word agape. And we'll talk about that in another podcast down the road. But that's the word agape is the word used for love in all those scriptures that we've looked at so far. And, uh, you know, John 3.16 tells us that it was this type of love that motivated God to restore his relationship with mankind. Now, this word agape, it appears, it's, it's over 150 times in the New Testament. So almost always, almost always, when you're reading the New Testament and you see the word love, or if you're reading the King James, charity, it's this word Agape is defining God's kind of love. So when Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you, he's talking about being having this commitment, this decision for other people. That's what he's talking about. When it says nothing can separate you from God's love, it's talking about nothing can separate you from God's commitment to your well-being. Um, you know, I just want to, this may seem like a little bit of a rabbit trail, but it's not. I'm going to bring this back around. In John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus was talking, and he said this. It's very interesting. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Now, there's a couple of interesting things there. Okay, let's just stop for a second and talk about that. He said to the Jews who believed, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. So, so what this tells me is you can be a believer and not a disciple. The difference between just a believer and a disciple is a disciple abides in the word. Every disciple is going to be a believer, but not every believer is a disciple. So, man, we want to be disciples, right? So he said to the Jews who believe, the people who believe, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Then verse 32, and conjunction combines these two verses, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. A lot of times we quote that. And you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. Or we'll just say the truth will make you free, just like it's going to make everyone free. And folks, that's not what that's saying. What that's saying is, you know, if you abide in the word, you're my disciples indeed. And you, disciples, shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. This is how we see believers with all the promises of God not experiencing them, you know, not experiencing the benefits in their life because they're not disciples. We need to be disciples. And something else here, too, is the root word of disciple is discipline. So, a, a discipled one, a disciplined one, a disciple, uh, they will know the truth and the truth will make them free. Here's what I want to say there. I'm going to try to wrap this up kind of quickly. Discipline leads to freedom. We think of discipline as a bad thing, but we're talking about self-discipline, yielding to the word of God and choosing to do it. It leads to freedom, freedom from 
whatever ills you're having in your life, freedom from, uh, and we're talking about in the context of uh, bad relationships or relationships that could be better. If we are uh, disciples, we'll actually have better relationships. And again, we're bringing this back around Galatians 5, 13 and 14. We'll read this from Amplified Classic. For you, brethren, were indeed called to freedom. There's that word freedom. Only do not let your freedom be an incentive to your flesh and an opportunity excuse for selfishness. So we could be selfish. We could just be a believer, not doing the word of God. But through love, you should serve one another. So there you go. He's juxtaposing, so to speak, selfishness and love. Self-centeredness is one side. We could be selfish, but through love, he's saying you should serve one another. Be committed to each other. Verse 14 goes on, says, for the whole law concerning human relationships is complied with in the one precept. You shall love your neighbor as you do yourself. See, their love is the answer, specifically God's kind of love. Now, God's love, I'm going to give you my sort of condensed version of what God's love is in relationships. It is a decision to make a selfless commitment to the well-being of another. It's a decision to make a selfless commitment to the well-being of another. It's interesting to me to look at the meanings of words. Decision comes from the Latin de sedere, which means to cut off. So when I make a decision, I'm cutting off all other options. If I decide to love my wife, Rebecca, which I do, I'm cutting off the option not to. I'm cutting off the option not to forgive her. I'm cutting off the option just to lose my, blow my stack at her. I'm cutting that off because I'm going to love her. I'm going to be about her well-being and what is going be a blessing to her okay so it's a decision to make a selfless commitment commitment means to unite to connect to combine to bring together it means to unite yourself to a purpose so i am when i make that decision to make that selfless commitment i'm uniting myself to the purpose of being a blessing to her to be selfless means without regard for self without regard for my desires my wants my well-being i'm devoted to another's welfare or interest and not in my own and then the word well-being again i went back and looked looked at the etymology of these words that comes from the the latin bene acere and i may be pronouncing that wrong but it means well bene means well or good and acere means to be in the state of having so well-being what that means is to ensure that someone else has goodness in their life Think about that. God's love is a decision to make a selfless commitment to the well-being of another to ensure that they have goodness in their life. Is this applicable to marriage? I think obviously it is. By now you know that just in hearing what we said so far. But John 15, 12, Jesus said, This is my commandment that you love agape one another as I have loved you. So yeah, we're supposed to love our spouse the way Jesus loved us. Then Ephesians 5, 25, says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So yes, this kind of love, this agape love we're talking about is applicable to marriage. Uh, this is how we're supposed to love each other. We're supposed to love our, our spouse unconditionally, sacrificially. I'm going to have to wrap this podcast up today just for time. But man, folks, this is the answer to relationship issues. This plugs the hole in the gas tank. So I just encourage you to uh, maybe re-listen to this and ask yourself, you know, what's God saying to me and what am I going to do about it? That's actually a great thing to ask yourself whenever you hear the word taught is what is God saying to me and what am I going to do about it? And I just, my prayer for you today is that you would get a greater revelation of God's love for you 
Because as you get a great, you can't give away something you don't have. So as you get a greater revelation of God's love for you, the most powerful force in the world bar none, you will be able to, out of that, love other people and see greater success in your life, including in your marriage. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Hey, please uh, share this podcast with others. Um, you know, check out our website, marriagebythebook.org. A couple of events coming up, and we're looking forward to those, and we will talk to you next week. Thanks again. We hope you enjoyed today's Marriage by the Book podcast. Make sure to like, rate, and review, and hit the subscribe button. For additional resources or to go deeper, visit marriagebythebook.org. See you next time.